Hello, it is my privilege to join you today from the global headquarters of the world's best capitalized bank and the world's best capitalized country. And what a great time to talk to you about markets. I mean, after the first, uh, first half of the year was the worst in 50 years, we've seen some very significant volatility in the third quarter. There is a lot going on around the world. Uh, and that's what we wanna talk to you about today. We are gonna start with central bank policy and the Fed, and we're going through our cavalcade of stars today. We're gonna to start with Leslie. Leslie, talk to us about the, the Fed and how you would characterize the way they're thinking about the world and what their reaction function is. Well, I mean, I think the first thing to note is that, you know, the Fed has moved, you know, 300 basis points in about a six month time frame. So when we think about how quickly and how, how, how much and the magnitude of 75 basis points that they've moved, I think that really you need to take that into account when we look at the now the one voice, the one language of the Fed, which is price stability over growth. And, and one of the things that we look at, and you can see this on this chart and everyone is aware of, is that particularly in the recent CPI data, both goods and services went up much more than expected, but overall the trend is shifting to where service inflation has obviously been is, and will going to be the main driver. Now, one of the things that we'll talk about in, you know, in, in a bit is really what's causing that service inflation and not just that, how are people going to react to the fact that things like owner's equivalent rent, which is 20, 25% of inflation will more than likely stay elevated for a long period of time. And even though we have housing market that is slowing, right, as interest rates are rising in the U.S., you know, it's more than likely that, that that part of the service inflation will go higher. So I think when we think about the Fed's reaction function going forward is that, you know, honestly, they're one voice, price stability over growth, but they really don't know. And I think what the market really needs to pay attention to is that going forward, what the market is pricing in, number one, and number two, that given the strength in inflation that we've seen, you know, even with the higher dollar, even with the lower energy prices, is that one number is not going to change the path of the Fed, and it's going to take consecutive decline in inflation going forward for them to alter their path. Well, I think that makes a lot of sense that they're, gonna, they're going to need several data points before they alter their path. Uh, but on the one hand, the path that they've laid out of, you know, consistent rate hikes where people and they sort of intimate they'll get to uh, their their peak rates sometime in the spring. Uh, you know, we know they've been or they would say perhaps even that they've been behind the curve yet. You know, we've seen no impact yet. You know, the, the labor market remains extremely tight and given uh, how tight the labor market is, that really helps the, U the U.S. economy stay, stay strong. So, you know, how, do, how does that play out? I mean, uh, with this continued strength and, and, and the markets as we go forward over the next six months? Well, I think, I think that's an important point, particularly when, we, when you talk about the labor market. And, you know, as some of these slides shows, in terms of the amount of job openings out there and the supply demand imbalance that we're seeing, and it might be the Fed objective or the Fed thought down the road that being as restrictive as they are with that 4.6% terminal rate, that they can get, they could actually you know move on the unemployment rate higher without causing a lot of headwinds to the economy, with the belief that they're able to move that supply demand imbalance with the amount of unemployed versus the amount of jobs out there 
more in balance versus having the other side where people are going to say get fired or laid off. And I think that that is sort of like the difficulty of what we're seeing right now, because one of the issues that you pointed out was, yes, the Fed has moved very aggressively, you know, the past six months, but it takes time to get into the economy. I mean, you have to remember in March, they weren't even hiking interest rates. They were still adding to their balance sheet. So it does take time to, to actually have this unfold and, and get into the economy. Now, one of the things that I do think that is happening, and particularly when it comes to those interest rate sensitive sectors, is that when we see that it take, may take time for the Fed to hike to go into the economy, the market is very forward looking. And what I mean by that is the U.S. Treasury, U.S. interest rates are moving higher, even prior to the Fed actually hiking to that terminal rate, hiking to that objective, because this is all based on speculation. So even though the Fed hiking, getting into the economy takes some time, the aggressive moves that we're seeing in interest rates right now is pushing that mortgage rate in the U.S. to a 15, 20-year high. So we have a lot of, we will see a lot of these headwinds and slowdowns from these interest rate sectors, but I think going forward, what's important to note is what the market is pricing in. And that's how, that's when it comes to fixed income, really what that deviation is, is really what is the key is in terms of future performance. And right now, you're pricing in that four and a quarter at the end of the year. You're pricing at that 4.6% in that March, April area. Whether or not that actually comes to fruition or whether or not the Fed actually gets there is yet to be seen because it's very easy to talk tough on inflation when you're sitting at a 3.7% unemployment rate. I mean, I just want to emphasize this. I think you said it very well. That not only is it easy to talk tough when the economy is this strong and inflation is this high, they have to talk tough, right? Because they would be shooting against themselves if they say, well, uh, you know, if they were to say today, yeah, but, you know, this is coming through in the mortgages and uh, owner's equivalent rent is backward looking. So, you know, don't, don't worry about it. They can't say that today. They can say that in uh, a few months, maybe, uh, and change their tune. And that's why this market is so tricky, because nobody knows how this Fed will ultimately drive their reaction function when the data, when the data changes. But enough about what I, what I think about that. I want you to talk about what's going on in fixed income and rates and how we see that from here. You alluded to it, but if you could elaborate. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the really the important point there with what you said, Mark, is that every, they don't know exactly. But if you, look at, if you look at the slide going forward, what is it that we do know today? And it's not only the fact that, say, like nominal 10-year yields are up 117 basis points since August. Real yields, real yields have moved higher to levels we haven't seen since 2010. So when we think about the fact that we have these longer-term inflation expectations, say from the break-even inflation expectation, are 2.35. Now, one would anticipate that, right? The more hawkish the Fed is, the lower the longer-term inflation expectation becomes. But if when, when you sit at the Federal Reserve, you would love to see this, I have inflation expectations long and anchored. I have real yields rising, and it hits the economy quicker, and it tightens financial conditions. So when we think about sort of what this, how this has played out in terms of not just interest rates or positioning, is that this, listen, the rising real yields has tightened financial conditions, given the fact they're, they're at these 2010 highs with the 10-year real, real yield at one, almost, almost 160. So the impact here in terms of you know, interest rates and, and fixed income is that we have seen spread, spread widening. But I have to say the spread widening has actually been fairly orderly. 
So when we think about, you know, how spreads, why spreads have wide, number one, we all know the volatility has been tremendous. And the more, the more liquid asset you are, the more easier it is to mark to market, the more volatile you're going to be. So when we think about the volatility overall, not just what's happening in the U.S., but globally, it's, it, the volatility has been huge and the liquidity has not been great. So when we look at how we would position sort of going forward is that we still think that this, this up in quality really is the place to, to center yourself in terms of a diversified fixed income. The best thing about rising interest rates right now, and given the fact they're really pressing in such a restrictive outlook or a hawkish Fed, the opportunity set has widened. And for the first time in decades, you are now earning income and fixed income is actually doing what it's supposed to be doing. Now, of course, where we are in the credit cycle and the, the incredible unknown of whether or not, you know, they can actually maneuver a soft landing given the amount of hawkishness that's priced in, the best thing to do is have, have an up in quality, in our view, given where we are in the credit cycle. You are earning yield that we haven't seen in over you know, 10 years. But also, too, as much as we want to just take on interest rate risk because interest rates have moved up so fast, you know, we have to really be cognizant of that it's very difficult to, to point the top in 10-year yields. It's very difficult to say this is the top of 10-year yield to 398 for the next six months. But if you look over the longer term and the fact that more than likely as this, as the Fed right, raises rates and it does go into the economy, as it starts to move into the economy and grow slows, you will have yields coming down. Whether or not it's a month or six months from now is simply too hard to predict because the Fed is too hard to predict. So what we wanna have is a diversified fixed income portfolio, have some carry on the short end, go higher quality, and actually be able to reap the benefit of the fact that we've had widening spreads, tightening financial conditions, but now you're able to earn you know, a very good amount of carry going forward. All right, well, quickly shifting gears now to Europe, we're gonna to go to Themis and uh, you know, tell us about what's going on. We hear people in the United States I know are not feeling it the way we are in, in Europe, but tell us a little bit about what's going on with, with energy and the impact on growth. Thanks, Mark. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> Europe in some ways has been very much in the eye of the storm. Uh, we have a, a, a number of uh, headwinds. O obviously, the first one and the most obvious one is the high gas prices, which lead to higher um, electricity prices, driving inflation higher, which at the end of the day means lower discretionary spending from the consumer point of view and lower demand. Uh, also, we're still facing a fair amount of uncertainty around the future of of gas supplies, uh, and that is feeding into negative corporate and consumer confidence, and we've seen it in PMIs and the latest, latest iPhone numbers. Uh, at the same time, of course, with the higher inflation, a bit like what Leslie was saying in the US, the ECB is raising rates. Uh, and actually quite aggressively, which means uh, higher financing costs, which also would hit the consumer. So all in all, I, if I look at all of that, that means most probably Europe uh, would end up in a recession in the next couple of quarters. Uh, although at this stage, we think the recession is likely to be more of a shallow one, unless of course we have a complete cutoff of uh, Russian gas supplies, which means more gas rationing uh, and uh, interruptions in um, uh, industrial production. But when we talk about Europe, we can easily get super depressed. And there are a few positives that I want to mention just to balance the argument out a little bit. If I look at gas consumption, it's down 18% year on year in August. 
gas storage in Europe is above 85%, Germany at 91%. They most probably reach their 95% target by early November. Of course, that doesn't mean Europe is out of the woods. Uh, we can still end up with gas rationing uh, in uh, late winter, but at least gives Europe a little bit of a breathing space. Labor market, a bit like what was discussed earlier on about the US, is still very strong. Unemployment at 6.6%, all-time low. Uh, and around Europe, we had a number of announcements from governments uh, on fiscal support for the consumer, and the uh, European Union is also looking for additional measures in this respect, which could, on the margin, help the consumer as well. So, but at the end of the day, we still think we are in for a couple of really tough quarters uh, in the second half of the year and into uh, early next year. A word about the market. Uh, again, going back to what Leslie was saying earlier on, the markets often discount these things very quickly. If I look at the Eurozone equities, it's down 23% year-to-date, trading on just 10 times PE, is about 18, 20% discount to long-term average. So the market is already discounting a fair, a fair amount of bad news. But obviously, until this news play out, I suspect the market is not going to be doing much. One thing that is worth mentioning as well is that uh, obviously this war in Ukraine and broader geopolitical uh, tensions brought into a very sharp focus uh, what we call the era of security. And that's around energy security, food security, technological security. Uh, and plans to address these security issues are likely to be key drivers for some of the long-term areas like uh, green tech, agricultural yield. Uh, so there's some areas that will be benefiting as a result of this. Back to you, Mark. All right, thanks, Themis. And this uh, concludes the uh, public section, section of our live stream if you've been joining us on LinkedIn. Uh, thank you and have a great rest of the day. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.